You've already heard our passage from 1 Peter. We're continuing our series entitled Elect Exiles. And the title of this message this morning is Sharing Our Hope with the World. Sharing Our Hope with the World. Please join me as I pray this morning. Father, thank you for the message of hope that saves us. Thank you that you entrust this message of hope to us. Father, I pray that as we hear your word preached this morning, that we would be strengthened to share this hope without fear. And that we would also share this hope gently and respectfully and with a clear conscience. Father, be with us by the power of your spirit as your word is preached, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Tone in our communication matters. It's quite possible to have good intentions, to share all of the right words, and yet somehow, because our tone doesn't match what we're trying to communicate, to fail to come through with the proper message. In many ways, tone trumps content. Tone trumps content. You can use all the right words, but when you say them in the wrong way, your message is lost. We see this time and again with family and friends. See if you can complete this sentence for me. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. Ever heard that? Teenager, ever heard that from your parents? Spouse, ever heard that from the other spouse, husband, or wife? It matters. When, when our message is conveyed in a way that doesn't match the message, then we lose the message itself. The manner of our communication must match the message we are communicating. And when it comes to sharing the gospel of hope with the world around us, we must not only take care to convey the truth of the gospel and to do so accurately, we must also share that message of hope in a way that is commensurate, that matches the message that we are conveying. The manner in which we share the gospel must match the message of the gospel. God calls us to share the hope of the gospel with the world and to do so without fear, Gently and respectfully. Let me say that again. This is our main point. God calls us to share the hope of the gospel with the world and to do so without fear, gently and respectfully. Our first point this morning is this. Have no fear. Have no fear. Look with me again at verses 13 through the beginning of 15. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now verse 13 always strikes me as odd. Peter has taken great pains to tell us that even when we are doing good, sometimes we will suffer for doing good. He's been talking about this throughout the entire book. And here's why I think he, he shifts gears for this verse. I think he wants us to see, yes, there are times when we're zealous for good things that we will be persecuted for them. But he also wants to remind us that's not always the case. Actually, probably many times we can do the right thing, say the right thing, love others, be kind and gentle, and oftentimes we will not be persecuted for this. That being said, in verse 14, he shifts back to the, the tack that he's been taking throughout this letter. The fact that we are elect exiles, that we are God's chosen people, that we are exiles in the world. And when we live for him and when we proclaim his name, frequently we will be persecuted. We will experience opposition for righteousness' sake. 
He also hits a key theme again that we will be blessed as we do so. That it is a, a blessed and gracious thing in the, in the eyes of God when we suffer for proclaiming the name of Christ. He then encourages us, he goes on to encourage us to do th three things. Have no fear of them. Do not be troubled in your hearts. And honor Christ as holy. Now the them in this verse is the non-Christian world that is pushing back where they are suffering for righteousness sake. Peter says, don't fear them. Don't be troubled by them. Don't be unsettled by the opposition that the world is placing before you. And last week I talked about how Christ frees us from the need of the approval of the world. And this week, not only do we not need the approval of the world, so when they revile us we can bless them. When we no longer need the approval of the world, we no longer fear the world. Christ frees us to no longer fear the world. Now I like to think of fear as inverse desires. Fear comes about when something we want or desire is threatened. Things like financial security, peace... Power, control, influence, the well-being of our loved ones. We, we want these things, and sometimes we want these things desperately. And when they are threatened, fear begins to rise up in our hearts. And when it comes to suffering for identifying with Christ, there are things the world can take from us. There are things that are precious to us that if we identify with Christ, we may lose. There is a cost to identifying with Christ, And when we realize this, we are troubled by it, it unsettles us, and there are fears that rise up in our hearts. Now the antidote to this fear, according to Peter, is to in our hearts honor Christ as holy. And here's the connection between fear and honoring Christ. The one thing that will make it worthwhile to us to lose things that we hold dear is if we realize that what we have in Christ is actually of greater value than anything that the world can take from us. So when we honor Christ as holy, as set apart, as valuable, as something to be treasured, then the hold that the world has on us begins to lessen. Therefore, when we see those things threatened, we no longer fear. Chris illustrated this for us last week when he taught us the children's sermon from, about the parable of hidden treasure from Matthew 13, 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. The world can threaten things we hold dear. So many of us have built career capital, financial capital, relational capital in this life. And it's given us influence and it gives us respect. It gives us power. It gives us comfort. And when the world begins to threaten these things, fear can rise up in us. But we must realize that all of these things that we treasure, that we hold dear, they're inferior treasures. What Christ offers is of supreme worth and value. Therefore, whatever the world can take away, we can freely give without fear, without being unsettled, without being troubled... Because what we have of supreme worth can never be taken from us. So the question is, what worldly treasure has the greatest hold on your heart? What worldly treasure has the greatest hold on your heart? Another way of asking this is, what do you most fear forfeiting for the sake of identifying with Christ? Now, whatever that thing is... 
ask yourself, is that thing that you fear forfeiting, is that thing you treasure, is it of more value to you than Christ? What is of more worth, the thing you fear losing or Christ himself? It's this type of exchange that this verse is forcing us to consider. Do not fear. Do not be troubled. Why? Because Christ is of more value than anything the world can ever take from you. Consider, what are you afraid of forfeiting? And what do you already have in Christ? You see, when we are freed from our fear, when we're no longer troubled by what the world can take from us, we are free to respond to the world in a very different way. We don't have to cower, we don't have to run away, we don't have to fear what it can take. In fact, we can turn back towards the world and without fear begin to offer the hope that we ourselves have in Christ. And that's our second point this morning, our message of hope. Read with me the second half of verse 15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If we are living in fear of the world, we will withdraw. We will remain silent. We don't want the world to know because we don't want the world to come after us. However, if we see Christ as holy, as valuable, and as his approval as greater than anything the world can offer then we are then freed from our fears and we are positioned to share the hope of Christ with the world. So let's unpack this verse a bit. It starts with always be prepared. As Christians, we are called to always be prepared to share the hope of the gospel which has been entrusted to us. Then this preparation is twofold. First, we must know the message of the gospel we are called to share. Often our hesitation in sharing this gospel is due to our own fears about being able to articulate it and articulate it well. How many times have you thought, I would share this more freely, but I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to say it in the right way. Or what's going to happen if they ask me a question and I don't know how to answer the question that they have. So we're afraid of articulating the gospel well. We're afraid that a question will come come at us that we, we can't answer. And so we begin to withdraw. We have fears. And so one of the ways we can overcome this is to equip ourselves to articulate the gospel well, to know our faith, so that when others begin to ask us questions, we're comfortable articulating the gospel and sharing the content of what we believe as Christians. When I first started out as a pastor, I led a small group of college students. And frequently, the college students were doing what they called go go teams, outreach teams to the college campus. And many of them were petrified. They were terrified of being able to articulate the gospel to students on campus. And so what we decided to do was we had about 20 students. We would all pile in my living room. And at the beginning of every small group meeting, one or two or three of them would practice sharing the gospel in 60 seconds or less. Can they just articulate what the gospel is? And a couple things happened as they began to share this week in and week out, each taking their turn. All of us were scared. I was a little nervous, too, because I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, and then I have to get up there and actually do this for them. And so we were all a little bit scared, but we were encouraged that we would hear the gospel over and over in different ways from different people. And we also began to be confident that, yes, we can articulate the basics of our faith. And here's 
how we would go about this. This is how I taught them to share the gospel message in 60 seconds or less. So see if you can follow along with me. If you're taking notes, I'll make this easy for you. So God, man, sin, Christ, response, cost. God, man, sin, Christ, response, cost. So God and man. God's made us to know him, to love him, to obey him. He's made us in his image, God and man. Sin has entered the world because each and every one of us have rebelled against God. We're now, therefore, under God's wrath. We face the penalty of sin and death. God, man, sin. And apart from God's mercy, we would have been left in that condition. But God, in his mercy, sent Christ to live for us, to die for us, to rise for our salvation and eternal life. Christ has now ascended to heaven, and one day he will come again to make all things new. God, man, sin, Christ. This calls forth a response from each of us. And God calls us to repent and to believe, to, to acknowledge, yes, we've sinned. And we now need to turn to him in repentance. And we're going to rest and receive Christ, rest upon and receive Christ as our salvation, as the vows we just heard articulate, to trust him. So God, man, sin, Christ, response, cost. And the cost of that is that we are no longer our own. We're owned by God. We're his children, we're his disciples, and so we take up our cross and we follow him every day. 60 seconds, roughly. God, man, sin, Christ, response, cost. And each and every one of you can learn to articulate the gospel relatively simply in that way. And therefore have confidence when someone says, what do you believe that you can articulate it? It also gives you categories to talk about God, man, sin, Christ, response, cost. Because the reality in a post-Christian culture in which we live, none of these things are assumptions anymore. I was recently listening to a sermon by Billy Graham, and it was in the 1950s. And I was struck by how many assumptions Billy Graham had about what his audience knew and understood. He assumed a biblical literacy. He would just talk about stories from the Bible as though everyone, thousands of people in a stadium, would know exactly what he was talking about. He had a category of sin. He had the Ten Commandments. He just assumed that you would know what the Ten Commandments are and that you've broken them. That you believe that there is a God and that when you sin against that God, there's judgment that you now want to avoid. He had all of these assumptions. He assumed the Bible had authority. If you listen to a Billy Graham sermon over and over, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, as though if I quote the Bible, it is the absolute authority. It was the assumption of all those listening. Now, in our cultural moment, there are no longer assumptions for the majority of folks around us. The majority of the people we are interacting with will often have questions all along the way. Who's God? Does he exist? Why should I believe in him? Why am I here? What is man? What is sin and who defines what sin is? Who's Jesus and what did he do? I don't even know what Jesus, what, what Jesus has done, who he is and what he has Done, And so therefore, rarely will it be an instantaneous moment where we share the gospel and they respond. Frequently, it's a dialogue where we're conversing with this person, sharing with them, who is God? Who are you? What is sin? Who is Christ? What has he done? And what is the hope that we can offer? And in that moment, if you get stumped with a question, it's all right. Just tell them, I don't know. I need to ask someone. Maybe you can come with me and ask the pastor with me or ask one of my Christian friends or let's read on this together and learn. And in that moment, modeling Christ-like humility and inviting them into the process of exploring what it means to follow Christ. Now, if you need some resources to know how to do this, I have a couple recommendations for you. 
There's a tract called Two Ways to Live. You can find it online. And it gives you a simple outline of the gospel and how to explain it to someone. If you want to learn more yourself or you want to be able to explain in more depth, Christianity is Explored is a class we've done here as a church. It's the basis of our Believe course with our young people. And it takes several weeks to walk through what are the basics of the faith? What do we believe as Christians? If we're going to share this hope, we must be prepared. We must know the gospel message. We must also be prepared by looking for opportunities to share our faith. There are opportunities all around us. Friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, those you're interacting with at the gym, any number of places where you will be interacting with those who need to hear. And as you pray for opportunities, as we pray, God will open our eyes to see the opportunities to have spiritual gospel conversation with others. Now, one last note on this verse. I want you to note the word reason. Reason. And I want you to understand that our faith is a reasonable faith. Believing in Christ isn't a leap into the dark. The Christian faith is reasonable. It makes sense of the world. It makes sense of who we are and why we're here, what the problem with the world is, and what the solution is in Jesus Christ. And so as you share this hope with others, you can do so in a reasonable way. You can talk with them and ask them questions about what they believe and why they believe it and help them understand that the Christian faith is a reasonable faith that actually makes better sense of the world than any other belief. Now this leads to this question, do you know the gospel? Do you know it? Can you articulate it when someone asks you about the reason, the hope that you have in you? If you don't know how to do it, consider the resources I've talked about. You can be equipped. You can know these things. And as you equip yourself, it's going to strengthen your love for the gospel and your confidence to share it with others. Are you praying for and actively looking for opportunities to share the gospel with others? I promise you, God delights to answer that prayer. Pray and look for opportunities, and God will provide opportunities. The last section we're going to explore this morning deals with the manner in which we are to share the hope of the gospel with others. The manner in which we are to share it. Point number three, embodying our message. Embodying our message. Look with me at the end of verse 15 through 17. Yet do it, share this gospel hope, with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter gives us two words to describe the manner in which we are to share this gospel message. We are to share it with gentleness and respect. So first, gentleness. Making a defense does not require defensiveness. It doesn't require harshness. Oftentimes when we begin to share the gospel with others, we shift into our high school speech and debate mode where we start to usher facts and reasoning and we argue, bam, 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 bam. We don't give them an edge anyway. And so we're arguing, arguing, pressing, pressing because we think we need to make our case. Now, our faith is rooted in historical facts. I just said that it's a reasonable faith. So there are facts that we should share with others and we should reason with them. But we must never forget that we are, are talking to people about some of the deepest realities of their life. 
And it's going to require dialogue and nuance and friendship and trust. In a word, it requires gentleness, that we know them and engage with them as fellow human beings. It also requires that we trust that God is the one who does the saving, not us. It's not our arguments, it's not our power of persuasion, it's not twisting someone's arm that brings them to faith in Christ. We as Reformed people, as Presbyterians, we believe this wonderful truth that every single one of us are dead in our trespasses and sins and we are unable to see, find, and know God apart from God and His mercy through His Spirit opening our eyes, softening our hearts, giving us new hearts to see and know and love and understand Him. In other words, we are called to, to offer this gospel hope but it's not in the power of our persuasion that they will come to know this gospel hope. We can entrust them to God by sharing gently with them, lovingly with them, and trusting that God himself is fully capable of defending himself, arguing for himself, and saving those whom he chooses to save. One of the joys of trusting God and that he is sovereign in saving, and that it, saving us is that it frees us from this idea that we need to win souls for Christ. Go do this. Win them. You must win them. And if they don't turn, it's because you didn't give a persuasive enough argument. No. We are free to love people, be gentle, to, yes, reason, to articulate the gospel and share it faithfully, but trust that ultimately it is God who works in his timing and in his ways. So we're to be gentle. We're also to be respectful. The friends that we are sharing the gospel with they're people. They're not our project. We're not working on them to get a notch on our belt because we added them to the kingdom. They're people. And frequently they're people from all kinds of various backgrounds with struggles and doubts and fears. They need time to get to know us for us to enter into their world to love them and do so respectfully. They also need the opportunity to see that our words match our lives. They want to know that they can trust us, not just because of what we say, but because of how we live. And this takes time. We just heard a testimony from Mo that was years long in the process, didn't we? A, someone who was raised in Islam, who then rejects the faith entirely. And through a series of years-long conversations and God drawing and bringing questions to his mind, eventually draws him to himself. That's what it looks like frequently for us to share the gospel with the world. We share it, we offer it, we live it, we do so gently and respectfully, and in God's timing, he brings his people to himself. Ultimately, sharing the gospel with gentleness and respect, it allows us to share the gospel with a good conscience. So whether the person receives or rejects the gospel, we know that we have loved them, cared for them, and shared with them the truth of the gospel, entrusting them to God. The manner of our defense of the faith must, must match the message of our faith. So when you have opportunities to share the gospel, what's the manner in which you share it? Do you do so gently? Do you do so respectfully? Or are you tempted to, to press the message upon people thinking that if you just say it the right way, then they will respond. Are you trusting God to work by the power of His Spirit to change hearts? Parents, 
Are you trusting that God is the one who will soften and change the hearts of your children? Spouse, husband or wife that maybe doesn't know Christ, are you trusting that God is working? And is that trust reflected in your gentleness and your respect and the way in which you treat them? How about your parents or your friends or your neighbors or your siblings? What's the manner in which you convey the gospel to them? Is the gospel given with hope and with gentleness or with harshness, forcing persuasion upon others? My prayer is that we would not only be a people who know the gospel, who love it and who can articulate it, but that we know it and love it and articulate it in ways that match the message itself. A message of hope, a message of God's sovereignty that he saves his people and that we can offer this hope gently and with respect, trusting that God himself will save his people. And if we do so in a Christ-like manner, when we are slandered for doing so, our enemies will have no footing and we will bring glory to God because we've reflected him, not in just what we've said, but in how we have said it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the message of hope. Father, I was thinking just of the words that Mo shared, that it was like a light shining as he's reading John. Father, thank you for shining the light of the gospel into our hearts. If there is anyone here who does not know you, I pray that right now you would shine the light of your gospel into their heart. And Father, that you would use us through the gracious and gentle and respectful proclamation of your word, that you would allow us to participate with you in the shining of your gospel light into the heart of those around us, that we might see them turn to you with hope and to live with you forever. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.